Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, and of course presented to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Mic is someone I came across through great friend of the pod, Indigo Eyes. For one of Indigo's Eyes' latest singles, Shelter, Joe enlisted the help of artist and vocalist Lily Ward, who absolutely blew my mind with her performance on it. Lily started working in the industry from 16 years old and has been singing and playing instruments for far longer. In this episode, we chart her journey from then to where she is now, how much growth and potential she has going forward as she is still only 23, and the pressure she feels to be successful even while she is young. We also discuss work-life balance, artist comparison culture, and streaming numbers. For Lily's mental health, we discuss her panic disorder, which causes her to have random panic attacks at night, and how it's impacted her belief in being an artist, her experience of taking antidepressants, and we finish by discussing how she's built a new life in Bristol, where she lives now. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the mic with Lily Ward. Lily, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast and this series and letting me check in with you. When I heard your vocals on Friend of the Pod, Indigo Eyes, aka Joe, his new single shelter, I literally sent him a DM saying, let's get her on the pod. <laughs> and here we are. How are you, pal? Uh-huh. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you, mate. I am well. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm very excited to share your music with my listeners. So without further ado, are you ready to start the show? I absolutely am. Let's do it. Let's start behind the mic, as we always do, by talking about your music journey, Lily. So I ask all my artists this question first take me back to how your love affair music began Mm -hmm. who were some of the artists you listened to growing up and when did you first start singing or playing instruments okay so I don't really have an interesting story for that I wish I did it's (laughs) it's so cliche it's like I started violin lessons when I was four and then when I was six I picked up piano as well when I was nine I picked up drums on that list and I wanted to be a drummer for ages, like a studio drummer, session drummer, whatever. And then my dad had like a guitar that he got from like Mexico or something one time. And I was like, I'm going to play that. So I taught myself to play guitar. And then by the time I was about 12, I started songwriting using piano and drums and all of that. I mean, that's not too cliche. You've already learned four instruments, self-taught three of them, <laughs> and you're already songwriting at 14. So, well, yeah, I mean, but like, <laughs> you ask an artist, you're like... So what's your story? They're like, oh, I've always loved music. I've always known that that's the thing for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I follow that too. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So yeah, I started with drums. And then I quickly, when I started guitar, I was started recording it on like an iPad and like making songs and stuff. I didn't actually listen to a lot of music growing up. That's why the songs that I did were so bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> because 
I don't really know why I didn't, to be honest. I grew up in a church. And so I guess a lot of the music that I would listen to was like worship music, I guess. So right. like, like sort of, sort of that, like sort of like folky. Yeah, music. Yeah, 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 for sure. The, the, the like, stereotypical one you think of when yeah. you think of like church music, and it's not hymns. Yeah, like exactly. The, the not hymns, but it's the guitar. And, yeah, 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 it's yeah, all yeah. like the flutes in there, you know, somewhere. Yep. But then I started to like go on these church camps and stuff where the the music was a lot more poppy, I guess. That's a thing like, now. Gospel pop and trap and it's drill so is a thing. It's so good though, right? Yeah, it's so thing. good. Honestly. Great Have you heard of Governor B? Governor B went to my secondary school. Did he? No way. Yeah. Yeah, Governor I saw him. Yeah, yeah. That, um, the he was a couple years uh, he was a few years above me, I think. Yeah. Mm, really nice guy, school. to be honest. He's really yeah. sound. Yeah, he's big now. He was making gospel stuff and singing in our school, yeah. One of the few good people to come out of my secondary school, to be honest, <laughs> apart from me. So, yeah, um, we both we both made it out of the hood. <laughs> so yeah, I started. God, I wasn't that. expected to hear Governor <laughs> B on this podcast, but there <laughs> we go. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it just kind of went from there, and then I met friends who were more into music, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna probably get into it, and then from there it just spiraled, I guess. You started producing your own music quite early on. Mm. So did you know at the time, like, oh, I, I need this skill set? Or was it more just experimentation or something else? It's more that it was fun. It was a mix of like, oh, my gosh, this is so much fun. And also, like, I want to be able to record my songs in a proper way and not just have them, like, sitting in my voice notes, like, disorganized and stuff. So I want to say that I started, like messing around with production when I was like 12 but then properly getting into it when I was like 16 getting a macbook getting logic and, I was you gonna know, say logic were you, were you using garage band fruity loops what were you using? no I used to use cubase oh um, wow that's proper yeah. old school. but that's all my school had so so they taught me <laughs> on cubase and I remember for GCSEs like being like can I please just use logic can I please <laughs> they're like no so yeah used to use cubase now, there's, a, um, there's a very old indie band now god this is taking me back called klaxons who mm. one of their songs called atlantis to interzone used samples from the pianos you used to get in school <gasps> so the start of it is dj yeah. dj they were so good though. And they used that literally yeah i Look love them miss, miss in the near future klaxons yeah that was the <laughs> album so. i remember i had one of those keyboards and I, there were um, some other noises that it made that I can't do on this podcast for different <laughs> reasons, though. Yeah, I, I took it. Yeah, a lot to of the boys of used to press religiously to get each other caught slipping in class. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I took one oh. to like one of these Christian summer camps. And I oh my god! <laughs> I know the lights turned off, and I started playing this like version of my heart will go on. Oh, I thought you were saying you accidentally pressed the key that made no, one of those sex noises. No, I didn't do one of those ones, <laughs> but. Suddenly, like, dee, dee, dee. so oh, playing, wow. so good. I got in a lot of trouble for that, but um, <laughs> worth it, definitely. Let's talk about <laughs> Lily Ward, the artist now. Mm. So how would you describe your sound for the listeners who haven't heard you before? I would say it is, like, my tagline, I guess, is sort of, like, emotional vulnerability hidden behind a pop song. Yeah. So it's pop songs. A snappy. Yeah. Um, pop songs with more meaning to them than you would think, I guess. Okay. You know, when you hear a song and you're like, they wrote that because that's a hit. I like, yeah. I want to be like, oh, you wrote that because you went through that, but it's still a banger. And then it became a hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. One question I always ask on Behind the Mic as well, Lily, is about the realities of the music industry 
on artists mm. for their audience, for their friends or their family who might not even know. So just tell me about your experience here, whether that's positive or negative. So far, it's been positive, as in like my industry connections and like my experiences in, in the industry. I have an incredible manager. Shout out, Jono. We love you. So I would say I've had a very privileged sort of experience within the music industry because also I am white, you know, but at the same time, there's a lot, I think, of pressure in the music industry, which like, whereas I'm not like directly affected by it, it sort of like psychs me out a little bit, you know, such, like, as? such as like, this could just be me, but like, I feel like I have to be the right age and stuff. So when I turned 23, I had like a full breakdown. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm too old. I'm never going to do it. 23 is not old at all. No, speaking as a 29 year old, mate. Yeah, Literally. it's very, very much not um, old. So like there's, I think, pressure from that point of view of like the music industry wanting young blood yeah of course and people are starting younger and younger now and exactly you you get to 23 you probably feel like you've been in the game a long time if you started at 16 yeah do you know what I mean yeah literally like you look at Billie Eilish getting a Grammy at 18 and then I'm like I'm 23 well like Central C started rapping when he was 16 I think and he's only like Mm. 24 now so exactly so I've still got time it's all good exactly mate exactly let's talk about live performance and Mm -hmm. the stage so take me back to your first gig, if you can, oh. as Lily Ward. What was your mental process like before, during, after, and the story behind it? Mm. I would say, this doesn't really count, but my first gig was when I was like 13. Uh, you know Milton Keynes? Mm-hmm. The big shopping. A lot of roundabouts. <laughs> Everyone says that. I've been, um, Milton, I've been to Milton Keynes football stadium quite a few times. See my, yeah, see my, football my team dad took it. his driving test in Milton Keynes because he was like, "If I'm good at roundabouts, I'll pass it." Then, um, wow, I mean that's bold. I mean, I'd be avoiding roundabouts. Literally, right? <laughs> but do you know the shopping centre there at all? Uh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, I had like a, a slot there. I want to say that that's like my first gig as like singing. I forgot so many words of so many songs. It was, <laughs> you know, it was absolutely terrible. But I did get one guy tweet saying, oh, this girl's amazing. And I was like, yeah. But All you need I, is one, mate. All you need is ex- one. Exactly. I wouldn't class that as like my first Lily Ward gig, but that was my first gig. My first Lily Ward gig was probably, what was it? I don't know. Probably the ones I've done recently, because like, I think it's been a long time coming to like, come into my, like my artist mm-hmm. self, you know, I feel like I've gone through like phases of being like, oh, I'm a singer songwriter. Oh, I'm an artist oh my God, I'm an artist, Lily Ward, you know? And so I feel like only recently I've fully got to like, I'm Lily Ward the artist instead of these previous... Mm, um, Iterations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like an evolution, Mm. you know? Conversely, what has been the best show you've ever done? Oh, the one... what did it do for your mental health? Oh my goodness, it was incredible. Well, hmm. (laughs) I played Rock Oyster, which is a, a Cornish festival. And I was on the house stage and throughout the set it was only like a 30 minute set but throughout the set so many people came in and they sort just of hearing it in. and like oh Literally, let's check right? out. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i love that and, i love um, that by the end there were like over 100 people in this tent and at the end they just wouldn't stop clapping and i almost got emotional because i was like oh my god like I guess it kind of gives you that reassurance of like, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing because nothing else has really given me that sense of fulfillment and achievement. And that's my favorite so far because they just wouldn't stop clapping. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what did I do to 
to deserve this, you know? So it affected my mental health really well afterwards because I was really motivated. Let's get more gigs. Let's get more sessions. Let's write some more. But then I also went down a bit. I was like, oh, I haven't got another gig for a while. Um, (laughs) You're the next hit. (laughs) Literally. So I'm trying to sort of not dip and just plateau. Yeah, find the balance. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Don't get too high on the highs. Don't get too high on the lows. So it benefited well and also benefited a little bit. Mm. But what does a stage itself provide for you and your mental health, Lily? I think it provides me with like a good sense of both my comfort zone and my uncomfort zone. Like Mm. elaborate. So before I get on stage, I don't get too nervous until like maybe a minute before. And then my knee will start shaking. If you ever see me during the first song, my knee is just going to go like that all the time. And so it takes that that first song of just pure uncomfortableness and everything. And then once I'm past that, it's just the most incredible thing ever. And I'm enjoying every minute. And oh, I just love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Which outlet out of producing, songwriting, playing instruments, singing or performing has the Mm. biggest impact on your mental health, would you say? I think probably songwriting slash producing. Because that's like another cliche thing is, you know, that's how I process things when I when I write songs. And so getting it all out and then producing it and like making these big choruses and stuff. I feel like it's all of my emotion that I'm transferring into like my keyboard to go into my Mac and to produce that. So I would say that that's the biggest thing. We've come to the part of the podcast where we talk about industry issues. And the first one you mm-hmm. want to discuss is work-life balance. So you yeah. work part-time in order to Mm -hmm. do music pretty much full-time much like many of the artists I listen to and probably a lot of very famous artists that cover it up (laughs) to be honest how do you find the right balance between striving to be successful and striving to pay your bills Mm. I mean I'm really fortunate because I love my job that helps that helps a lot and I love the people I work with and I love the job role because I work in the tech industry and Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about that as well as music and so I feel like I've got good career prospects there while I'm working there. And so I feel very privileged that, you know, I only work three days a week and that covers my bills. I mean, I do live in an eight bed shared house, but, you know, it does cover my bills and my rent and my food and stuff. And then that means that Monday to Thursday, I can I can just do music. But I do find that I don't want to take a day off, but I have to because I like to say that I'm willing to do anything to get to where I want to be. And where I want to be is winning a Grammy. That's like my top We're goal. We're manifesting. We're we manifesting. are manifesting. I do actually manifest as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like, it's a weird one because I know that by the end of, so I'm customer facing as well. So like by the end of the weekend, I'm totally socially burnt out. I need to rest. I need to eat some good food and I need to, take some time to recharge but at the same time when I'm doing that I feel like I'm wasting time and that I should be doing music I should be having a session I should be producing I should be making TikToks I should be you know all of that stuff so it it is hard to balance I feel like I've got an okay balance at the moment but sometimes I do take on a bit much because I also do Deliveroo on the side just to put a little bit more money into like my music account so that I can go to London and travel and stuff and so it's yesterday lot, it's a lot so yesterday I was I did an eight hour shift I was there for nine hours and then I went to go do delivery and I was like you know what my body just can't take it so I had to take it off 
but that's okay. I'm trying not to beat myself up about it. Just is what it is. You'll get there, mate. You'll find the right balance. And hopefully when the music mm. takes off, one thing can go down and maybe one thing can go up and you, you can, exactly. you'll, get there. you'll get there. Exactly. I like to think of this as my hero origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Let's talk about comparison culture next, because mm. that is something I've talked about with many artists on this series. Yeah. And the thing with the music industry is so many artists have to post on social media as if they have already made it before they've mm. made it to give off the persona <laughs> that labels or brands will invest in them so they do make it. <laughs> yeah, literally. However, the fake it till you make it environment can become a slippery slope quite quickly, can't it? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. It's funny because I haven't actually seen it that way, but now I do. Because I, I try not to post stuff that's not really real. I don't really post too much on like Instagram and stuff. I post quite a bit on TikTok. But I, I don't post too often on Instagram. I need to get better at that, to be honest. Because I like Instagram. Oh, I think you're pretty good at it. You, you you post the teasers and I just reply saying release the ting. <laughs> flame emojis. <laughs> you get your engagement, so you're done. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I post on my story more than I, than I actually post. But I think that's probably what people mainly look at. But yeah, the pretense that you have to keep up of like, oh yeah, I don't need a label because I've already made it. But actually, secretly, I really do want a label. So if you could like contact me, that'd be great. There we go. When it comes to this comparison culture, Lily, how do you manage it for your mental health? And what tools do you use to avoid doing what we've just discussed, which is compare yourself to other artists or mm. what they're doing, their profiles, their streaming numbers, everything in between? I think a lot of it is like reminding myself that the majority of Grammy winners are in their 30s. <laughs> That's a lot of it. It's also just like when I find myself comparing just catching it I guess and the tool that I use is just compare myself with myself so I have a whiteboard up here and I like to put songs I wrote last month and then songs I wrote this month and then write the same amount or one above or something or like even achievements last month achievements this month so I think what I do to try and combat comparing myself to other people is just compare myself against myself because I'm quite competitive and so that works a lot and it normally gets the best results out of me. Something I found quite interesting that you said to me off air was about the industry and you said that the music industry has given me a lot of freedom. It's mostly positively affected me, but sometimes mm. it can be negative too. Can you just unpack that dichotomy for me? I think the negativity probably comes from me not, I don't know, sharing certain aspects about my personal life that I would like mm -hmm. to because I believe that maybe music labels won't like it okay you're not under any pressure to share that either by the way I would say oh yeah no 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 but I yeah. mean like I'm openly gay and in my music I'm openly gay as well and you know a lot of my close friends and personal friends know that I have a long-term girlfriend who I absolutely adore but just getting that on the record nice one on the record thank you i love you tilda nice um but she often actually says to me she's like no you you, you don't want to post me because then 
you need fans to think that you're achievable and that you're, you're single and that you're achievable. Oh and my like... god, I've just got got images of that that Simpsons episode where they become the B sharps and the manager's like, "We want women to think they can have sex with you." So, uh... <laughs> and then he, he tells Marge, and she just cries. He's like, oh, "I'm sure Marge will be happy with that." <laughs> yeah. Basically. And I think, like, I know that that's kind of a weird take on it, but I want to show off my girlfriend. You know? That's not weird. I know, but, like, I don't know. People. I can see both sides of it, though, because sometimes, you know, you might think, you know, you want to protect your private life, which is great. Mm. And then other times you might want to be, you know, more positive and yeah, you know, share more stuff. Yeah, because she also so, yeah, didn't yeah. sign up for this. You know, no. she signed up for me, but she didn't sign up for... The clout. <laughs> the clout, basically. And we, we've had conversations about, like, what happens when you know I've made it and and all of that and stuff? But I think yeah, the biggest thing is that I want to show off my girlfriend, but also like I want to be known as a gay artist, but not have that be my whole identity. Yeah, you don't want to be defined by it. I get that. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a lot of character, personal mm. development, I guess. That is the yeah. You that you comes kind of want it. the Moona bracket, don't you? The what? The Moona bracket. You know, Moona the band, yes, they're all gay. I love but Moona. they're not like defined by their gayness. But, but everyone loves they it. Are, but everyone loves it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Fletcher. Uh, do you know Fletcher? Oh. Mm, well, Fletcher. I'm not going to do lie witness news and pretend I know who that is. So I'm. <laughs> no, I, no, I, no. I, I, the name rings a bell, but I, I couldn't say I know them. No, she's great. All of her music is about her relationships with women mm-hmm. and all her fans are gay i want that little community i want that i, I can't you, wait I, to have I that tell community. you the gays have made it bloody hard to get tickets to go see moona honestly <laughs> i can't get a ticket to see moona for love nor money <laughs> and i hope that one day i can cultivate a community of fans that are like that you know it's just like to get there is hard I yeah, guess. it is. Hard, that, that's what I struggle with with the mm. music industry. I guess you mentioned earlier in the pod about age, and this is mm. something I think that affects female artists. Would I say more? It definitely affects them in different ways and more pronounced ways. And I think that it's much harder, I would say, for female artists who reach above a certain age to stay. I don't know, relevant or to stay mm. successful. You know, I can think of a few at the top of my head that have, like Adele, Dolly Parton. Who's yeah. kind of oh God, Dolly Parton must be hitting 70 soon. Yeah. If if not more. Anyway, a lot of men who have stayed at the top are, you know, 70 plus, 60 plus, whatever. Mm-hmm. So how much pressure is there, do you feel, for female artists to kind of get everything together before 30, this scary mm. milestone? And how do you feel yourself about it? I think when I mentioned earlier about my age, I was probably only thinking about female artists. I think it's a weird one because also like to cultivate a fan base, fan bases are often young. Take time. <laughs> and they're young. They take yeah. time and they need to be young so that they have the time, the money and the energy, basically, to invest their time into your act. You can totally have older fans and stuff like that, but you'll find that the most devoted ones, at least in like research I've done and stuff, I can't quote any sources, lol. You know, they are a younger base and so the older i get the more i'm scared that there's going to be a disconnect i guess hey adele is 30 plus and she got all right? the female she got all the 30 plus women coming to her shows mate exactly and so, so is I'm... so is beyonce and she's <laughs> gonna have them for a long time to come 
Exactly. I'm just going to compare myself to the likes of Adele and Beyonce and I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. One thing I do find quite sad, though, and this is, I think, something that does affect male artists too, but definitely in a different way, is that mm-hmm. a lot of artists feel the pressure to maintain their youth, shall we say, through cosmetic means. Oh. And oh. yeah, so so someone like Madonna, mm. I feel quite sad seeing how she's had so much work done and she's almost kind of like mm. unrecognizable now even yeah. from her hung up era and you know, <laughs> is you know that, I think wait it's is a, that is that the song that goes hung up by yeah. you that's, that's a, hung a up banger era. okay got you. yeah i mean well she's evolved since the 80s really and i just wanted to clarify yeah yeah of course yeah the, i call it the hung up era because that's because that's the song but it's very well known that, that she wears gloves to kind of hide the fact of her age because you know mm. i think there's some sort of thing where you can tell how old someone is by their hands i don't know or some oh. i think that's i think that's something i think there's some yeah. reason why she wears the gloves but she's had, so obviously had a lot of work done mm. i find it quite sad that she feels she's obviously felt that pressure to mm. keep up with relevancy and she's needed to done this i just worry about where we're heading do you know what i mean that the female absolutely female artists like her feel feel the need to do that i think you know it's never been a thing that i've thought about <laughs> someone's gonna like clip this and then 40 years later <laughs> when i've got like botox they're gonna be like huh <laughs> i think there is an element of sadness because i would have loved to see selfishly i would have loved to see how naturally beautiful Mm. madonna would have looked Mm. you know without that and i think like there's a beauty to aging even if it does 100 but i think it's i think it terrifies a lot of people and obviously terrifies artists absolutely if i think about it too much i yep nope no not for me (laughs) but but yeah no it comes to us all mate that's the thing it comes to us all literally exactly and i might as well just accept it and if you can age gracefully it looks great I mean, I look exactly. much better than I did when I was 17. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> exactly. I used yeah. to think I looked so good when I was 16. And now I look back <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Well, I don't, yeah. I don't have cystic acne anymore. So there's that. That's a positive. Okay. So. Got you. Yeah. I'm like, no wonder I, I didn't have a girlfriend. Like, <laughs> that's me being like, why doesn't anyone love me? It's like, let me look at yourself. <laughs> Oh, gallows humor is my favorite humor on this podcast. You can <laughs> laugh about your pain, you own it. That's what I say. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. Exactly, exactly. I want to finish the section by talking about your discography and a brief chat about it mm. because the two tracks that you wanted to pick out was your latest single, like I used to, yeah. which is I think your best one so far. Thank you so much. And the song that I picked out that I discovered you through, which is mm. Shelter with Indigo mm. Eyes, that you released. I think, did you release that this year or last year, Shelter? This God, year. I'm losing track yeah. of time this year. Just May. tell me about the new track first. What does that mean to you and your mental health? Like I used to is a cracking track. First of all, like... I the, love the, the confidence, Lily. I love the confidence in your own work. It's just a banger. Yeah, it's, it's, a, banger. it's a banger. You know, we were in the studio like, we've kind of done it. <laughs> <laughs> we've kind of slayed a little bit. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like, in the studio, it was a really easy song to write. And so we wanted to get across this like really uplifting, happy, I really don't need you anymore. I thought I did, but turns out, bro, like, yeah. And and it could be like a relationship. It could be a friendship. It could be whatever. I think I I pulled on it from previous relationships where my first heartbreak, I spent about two weeks in like the most deep depression ever. And then after that two weeks, I was like, yeah, but I get to live my life for me now. I get to do all of this stuff. 
Um, the female independent single woman. Literally, <laughs> literally. And I was like, I don't have to live to please you. I don't have to like live to make you happy. I can live to make myself happy. I can spend my money on myself. And lucky me, I finally don't need you. Vibes. Mm. I want to talk about Shelter now because I fell mm. in love with your vocals through this track. And it gives Thank me you. such warm and summery and this pop house vibe and sound that Disclosure, Bondax, people like even like Duke mm. Jamont sort of popularized in the early to mid 2010s. Mm. The falsetto on the bridge for the chorus is just... Thank you, man. Mwah, chef's kiss, magical. <laughs> and the second verse, I was just stanky facing all over the place. So <laughs> just tell me about this track. How was it like to work with obviously Friend of the Pod, Joe, and what it means to you? Mm. Well, we wrote it the first time we met. We were on this songwriting camp with a bunch of friends. We had Inez Ray, Gaspar Narby, Ayana, Francesca Morris, Indigo Eyes, a girl called Kat, and who else? I think that was it. We all went around Ayana's house in the country. I drove five hours for it in wow. on the hottest day of the year. To your craft, mate. Yeah, on the hottest day of the year with no aircon in my car. I had like a 2005 Mini. It was terrible. I walked in and they were like, Lily, you're right. And I'm like, I didn't think so. <laughs> so yeah, we, we wrote it on the first day we met. And he was like, hi, I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. I've got, I've got a track that I think would really, really suit your vocals. I love Comeback. And I was like, okay, thanks. I listened to your stuff as well. It's really good, thanks. <laughs> Just like secretly fangirling, you know? Because at that point I had like, I don't know, 5K monthly listeners. And, I, I, and Indigo had like, I call him Indigo. And he had like 40k and I was like, oh my God. And so we sat down and he played me the mm-hmm. and I just like fell in love with it. I love a good synth sound like that. And it just like set the mood for the whole song. And we like finished writing it in like half an hour. Yeah. Wow. It was incredible. Those falsettos, man. Have you heard of Hayley Knox? That's I haven't, no. Oh my God, you need to listen to Hayley Knox. So I heard about Hayley Knox. She was on a Mark Rebier stream. Mm. and she loves looping and improvised looping like he does oh, nice. on a stream and yeah. she's really r&b-y really like traditional american r&b but she has those falsettos that you have and it's oh just yeah i'll send you her I stuff like, this. honestly it, it's so good it took a lot of takes to get them <laughs> <laughs> i was just there like <laughs> and then occasionally like, my voice would crack and be like let's do another one you got but there, yeah. mate. You got there. And, we, it, and, it, got and it landed. So I yeah. am nervous for the first time that I sing it live. <laughs> I think we might have to put it down a few keys. <laughs> just like reverb it. Just reverb. Just reverb. <laughs> reverb, auto-tune, done. Let's reflect on your music journey, mate. So, so far, mm. what has it taught you about yourself? Ooh, that when I think I found my sound, I definitely haven't. Because <laughs> I always release a song being like, this is it. I've found it. This is going to be my genre. This is going to be it. And then you compare Winter Coat to Like I Used To, and you're like, this is not the same person. How? And so I think, yeah, in the music journey, I've just like found that I don't have to stick to a genre. I stick to pop as a whole, but it can be the different elements of it. It can be indie, it can be bedroom, it can be acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> We talked all about your music journey and Lily Ward, the artist. Let's go behind the mic and talk about your mental health journey, pal. So I ask all my special guests on this topic, this question as well first. Take me back to early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Lily we meet here? 
That's a really good question. Like the way you phrased that was really good. So I guess like as a kid, I think I'm definitely neurodivergent <laughs> because and I know that that's different to mental health, but I have to mention it because like I think it's Be specific power. Do you it. mean autism or do you mean ADHD or do you A mean... little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay. So I had yep. I had quite a few sensory issues in terms of like food and stuff. I couldn't have stuff touching. My mum jokes that at my wedding, I'm going to have like this school dinner plate where everything's like separated. I'm fine now, but I couldn't really deal with that. And so I was a very fussy eater, I guess. And so when Mm -hmm. I was little, I was quite sensitive because I was scared that people would call me a fussy eater. So like going around friends' houses, I was really nervous for in case I didn't like I was the same pal. I was very weird as well. I was a Um, big fussy eater too. I also hated socks just... If okay, it wasn't that bad, but yeah, yeah just the fussy yeah. eating part, not socks. <laughs> yeah, just the sensory issues, stuff like that. And so that made me feel, I don't know, a little bit different. But I don't, I wouldn't say that I had, you know, any mental health issues as a kid. When I was a teenager, that's when it, that's when it went downhill. No, I'm joking. No, when I, when I was a teen and I started, well, it's a funny one because growing up in a church and realising that you're gay also, that... I guess it it did some damage, but I'm only realising it now. So I'll talk about that after the teen bit. So as a teen, I got a bit depressed and um, I didn't actually go to the doctors for a while. I did my GCSEs and I was very, very, very depressed. I was at a very, very low time, I guess. I had some family issues, had friend issues and stuff I didn't I didn't really fit in with my friend group a lot of them like didn't invite me places just because I was a hassle and so that to, you know, to them not to yourself though let's be mm-hmm. you weren't one in reality no no not in reality because um my dad also like lost his driving license for like a few I think it was a year or so it didn't do anything like illegal he um he hasn't got any <laughs> peripheral vision and so he got his driving license taken away we appealed it he's a safe driver he's got it back but like I would need lifts places and stuff like that. So people just didn't invite me anywhere. So I didn't really have much of a social life apart from a church. Yeah. So during teens, I yeah started to get depressed and stuff like that. I don't think I had anxiety of any type at that point. Definitely wasn't as confident as I am now. Yeah. I wasn't like scared to put my hand up in class and, you know, give my very loud opinion. <laughs> so yeah, during my teens, I, I started to get depressed. And then when I was 18, start to get quite bad so I had an incident and then I I told my mum and we went to the doctors and um she said so loudly to the doctor what had happened and I was like mum like everyone was in the waiting room and I was like guys just oh, don't listen no. <laughs> she, I was like no but yeah I saw a doctor I started antidepressants I started on sertraline and I don't know if it was an allergic reaction or something, but sertraline gave me my first panic attack. I'd had panic attacks growing up, quite rarely though, just about like feeling sick and stuff, right? And I would get like aphasia with it. So do you know what aphasia is? It's like when um, your brain and your mouth don't really talk to each other. So when people have migraines, which I used to, they can't really communicate. So one time... I had to go to hospital because I thought I was having a stroke because I couldn't talk. Uh, it turns out I was just having a really bad migraine. And so that would happen quite a bit while growing up. And then, yeah, I got a panic attack after having sertraline. And I, I'm now diagnosed with panic disorder, 
which is slightly different from anxiety. It's still an anxiety disorder, but it means that I get random panic attacks, like mostly at night. And so after that, switched the meds, went on to citalopram, which is brilliant, and then started getting more panic attacks. So switched to escitalopram, which is just slightly different. And now I've been on that for years now, mm. <laughs> like since 2019, I think. Do you yeah. think it would be better to come off it at some point or not? I don't think I want to because when the depression sort of like first started when I was 18, it was because I'd moved down to Cornwall. Before that, it'd been about mm-hmm. school and stuff and moving was a big challenge and stuff. So I didn't really take it seriously then. And so when I started taking it seriously, I went to the doctor and they were like, okay, you've got situational depression because, you know, you've been dragged down to Cornwall. You don't have any friends here. You live on the top of the hill and you can't drive. So you're stuck there. So that's when I started sertraline and stuff. And then I think I tried to come off it one time and then it just like kept getting worse. And so, you know what, I just need to accept it's chronic. I think I probably will have it for the rest of my life, which sucks because I hate refilling prescriptions. It is the biggest hassle in the world. And I have to do that every month, every month of my life. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't think I want to come off them because they do so much for me. I feel like with them, I am cured and that I don't have depression. Yeah, sure, I have Mm. sad days and stuff, but that's nothing close to what I did feel. We've mentioned faith quite a bit in this podcast, Mm. mate. And and you mentioned the discomfort or challenge that you found being in a church environment and reconciling it with your sexuality. Mm. So what is your relationship like with your faith now has it lapsed have you still got one and you found a better church you know just tell me a little bit about that if you Mm. can I would say I'm no longer religious I do want to go to church again to a try it and also make it a better experience so that I'm not left thinking that church is this terrible thing because it just happens that the church that I went to was problematic (laughs) let's say they weren't openly homophobic but I think that's what made it worse a lot of the time is because they wouldn't speak about it. And so I was left there like, oh my God, do my friends still like me because I'm gay? And then we had this one Q&A session, let's say, with the the head of the church. And my youth leader was so funny. He goes, Lily, it's probably not going to come up. Don't worry. It's fine. Our first question that was asked, literally. (laughs) Yeah. First question was asked, was like, what are your views on, um, you know, being gay? And he starts off the the answer was, well, we're all broken people. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's not, not a good great to hear. start. Yeah. And it didn't help that I'd just recently come out with bi at that time. And so everyone knew and they just turned to look at me. And so now the head of the church who had just said that I was broken was looking at me, knowing that I was probably not the straightest. <laughs> person in the world so, in the draw yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so like and there there are a few other things and I think it's just it did a lot of damage that I didn't realize at the time and now that I've gone to therapy mm. and stuff I've realized about that and it makes me look back on it differently for sure mm. um but yeah I'd, I'd say I don't have a faith right now okay well there's there's room to explore that in the future if you do find a church that works for you and you know you might, exactly. you might not find a church that works for you either so yeah I'm it's open very much for it open. You know? yeah exactly but I'm a, I'm a person that needs like tangible <laughs> evidence yes yeah no I hear that I'm hear like that. if you're real move this plectrum <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> 
one thing you said that I found quite interesting, you said you came out as bi first. Was that mm. a, a trepidation angle, sort of testing the water first and then yeah. coming out as gay <laughs> afterwards? Or, yeah, okay, fair not, enough. <laughs> not consciously, though. Yeah, yeah of I, course. It's, and like, it's, a, it's a very common story, isn't it, with a, lot of, yeah. with a lot of young gay boys and girls, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, a thing called compulsory heterosexuality, which I'm quite an advocate for raising awareness about it is because when watching films you see straight couples when reading books you see straight couples straight culture is in our society through and through is ingrained in it right so growing up that's all i've ever seen and so what i guess because we are the majority exactly (laughs) yeah exactly and so that part of me feels like maybe i am (laughs) you know attracted to men because i feel like i have to be so I genuinely did think that I was bi. And then I got a girlfriend and I was like, oh, I'm gay. <laughs> Stepping stone. Stepping stone, definitely. Okay. I always want to talk about your childhood a bit more now because mm. you obviously went to Cornwall. I can imagine that was a very big shock. Cornwall almost feels like a different world to most people, even mm. even people who live in Bristol. With Cornwall Compared like to Milton Keynes. <laughs> how yeah. isolated did you feel then before you learned how to drive? And made friends. Um, well, to be honest, I only moved to Cornwall when I was 18. So, like, I'd lived 18, like, 18 lives, <laughs> 18 years in <laughs> in the town that I was in. And in the town that I was in, I could walk to the park. I could meet up with my friends and I could take the dog for a walk or catch a bus to town or something. Whereas when I moved, where my parents live is on the top of a hill. We have one neighbour who's called Sheila. We love Sheila. She brings us around like fresh rhubarb every now and then. She has a really cute cat that comes in my window sometimes. <laughs> That's me going off on a tangent. But yeah, my neighbours were cows. Not Sheila. Sheila, you're not a cow. That's not what I meant. But yeah, it was just surrounded by fields on the top of a hill. To get to the nearest town, it was a drive. The neighbouring village was just houses. So there wasn't a shop or anything like that. And so it was so just fundamentally different from what I was used to. And so I literally had to rely on my parents to go places, but they were working. And so I was stuck in the house. It's quite a dark house. It's, it's a lovely house, but there's not a lot of natural light. And so that didn't help. And so being tossed into this new environment with not a lot of sunlight, not the best weather either. Yeah, it was it was all a bit much, I guess, and sort of spiralled mm. from there. You obviously moved there when you were 18, but... A lot of people, when they're 18, go to university. However, that mm. wasn't something that you wanted to do. And the interesting yeah, thing no. you said to me off air was, what's the point of me doing a degree in something I could teach myself? <laughs> no, that makes me one, sound so cocky. The had was music. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sound so cocky. But like, if it is something like music, if I've been doing it a long time and all it is is practicing and watching YouTube videos <laughs> and networking... I'm not going to get, you know, 27 grand in debt to 27 people. and the rest. Oh, and the rest. Was, yeah, sorry. I was just thinking just the tuition fees. <laughs> so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I deferred for a year, went traveling for a little bit. And then just was the gap year turned into a gap two years. And then it turned into a gap three years and then a gap four years. And now it's a gap five years. <laughs> and I'm doing well. So I'm happy I made that decision because now I don't have much debt. So after this decision, you moved to Bristol in September mm-hmm. of 2022. So why was mm. Bristol the city you wanted to move to versus Manny, Liverpool, London, mm-hmm. Brum? And how has it been for your mental health? I love the first one first. I wanted to move to Bristol because my sister's here. Okay. Um, not the only reason. Emily, if you're listening, calm down. 
yeah, I came up to visit her one time and I just loved the fact that she was living independently. She was kind of close to home as well. Like it's two hours away, two and a half hours. And I could drive at that point as well. Yeah, I think I passed in, yeah, 2022. So it was like, you've got this independence. You're living by yourself. You've got a great job. She's a midwife. And I just like, we went into town, went to the aquarium. That was great. And I also had had like a few sessions in Bristol as well for songwriting. And so I was like, you know what? Sure, it's close to London, who's close to my manager. It's close to people that I work with. And it's also close to home. If I went to Manchester, it'd be like eight hours down to Cornwall. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be within distance because it would be the first time that I'd like properly moving out by myself, you know? And then I think like for my mental health, it both improved it and also like, I really struggled at first because I felt like as a 22 year old moving out, that's quite late. You know, my mum moved out when she was 19. My sister moved out like for uni when she was 18 and then came back for a little bit. But I felt like I was leaving it really late. And so like I needed to do it. So I sort of pressured myself into it a little bit. The first few months were like really, really hard just because I didn't get on well with the people that I was living with. They were unhygienic. They would leave food out all the time. And while I was really happy that I was chasing my dream and like living independently, I was also like, what have I got myself into? This is terrible. So yeah, it it was an up and down. And then luckily, uh, you know, I was there for like eight, nine months and then um, just made the most of it. Put up some nice lights (laughs) that helped me get through. (laughs) Yeah. And then I I found this place here. It took a while to find this place here, but I'm really glad that I did. The people are a lot nicer. (laughs) A lot of people might not know this because they might have a very London-centric or a Manchester-centric or whatever city they're from perspective, but Bristol was probably one of the most, I would say, diverse and thriving music Absolutely. in the UK. Yeah. How have you found the scene for connection, collaboration, everything mm. in between? Really, really good because if someone's not based in Bristol, I can easily travel to London because that's just the place, right? But equally, there are so many songwriters and producers from Bristol. I've got two that I work with regularly. It's a small city. You could probably see like countryside if you're in the centre and you're up high, you know? It's quite a small place. And so it doesn't feel as claustrophobic as London. So when I need to have these sessions, I can just easily travel there. And then live-wise, there's so many different venues and so many different places. I've played at the Louisiana, which is brilliant. Um, I've played at Crofter's Rights, which is great as well. So there's so many opportunities for, for live music. No, I haven't been to Motion. <laughs> Everyone mentions Motion. No, always. It's always the first one I go to Port Call when I when it yeah. says Bristol. I'm like, have you been to Motion? <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the panic disorder, if we can, mm. there was a point where, at its worst, you questioned if you could be an artist alongside it. How did mm. you overcome that doubt? It's actually quite recent, to be honest, because I, I played a show and I had had a panic attack or something the night before after having a year of no panic attacks. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm cured. This is great. (laughs) And then I had one. I was like, oh, damn it. And so that shook me. And so because my panic attacks normally happen at night and so I like to stay in and, you know, wind myself down properly and read or watch a show or play a game or something like that. And when I'm playing shows, I can't do that. And so it still is a, you know, a place of anxiety for me. But at this show, I started having a panic attack on stage and I managed to get through it. 
and I couldn't stay for who I was supporting and I had to apologize and I felt so 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 bad someone I work with she's incredible and she was like so understanding about it but it really got me like how am I supposed to tour if I can't do one night and it's a half an hour set and then I can't watch the rest like how am I supposed to travel and sleep somewhere that I'm not comfortable in and do this if I have panic disorder luckily since then it's gotten better and I've done two gigs three gigs actually where I've sort of separated performance nerves and panic attack anxiety and that's helped quite a bit but it has been a lot of exposure therapy just doing it because exposure therapy in like the sense of like before I was really playing live didn't really work for me but since I knew the only way to get better at it and to feel more comfortable is if I just do it. Yeah. It's something I I still think, especially when I've had one, because it takes like a a few nights to sort of subside, to be honest. Just listen to that D-Ream song. Things can only get better. (laughs) Can only get better. That's it. I am cute. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Brian Cox's band. Who'd have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought? Not me. Let's reflect on your mental health journey, pal. So firstly, similar question as the first topic, what has this mm-hmm. mental health journey taught you about yourself? I think it's taught me that if I am feeling depressed, it's valid. Because <laughs> uh, there are a few times where I wasn't believed, I guess, about my depression. And I go, like, oh, no, you're fine. And I was like, okay, uh yeah sure and so I just carried on going and so the thing that I've learned is that is how to recognize my thoughts that are depressive and my thoughts that are to do with panic and you know in that moment I have control of that because like I I used to get quite a few intrusive thoughts and stuff like it was literally like an audible voice it was so weird and so I, I, I learned to differentiate them and so it's it's taught me that I can do that I can recover I can go a year without a panic attack. It might not happen today or tomorrow, but it can happen because it has happened before, you know. I think recovery has been such a point of like, it's going to be okay because I've done it before, you know. It's like, like I said, with the exposure therapy, doing that show at night and enjoying it and, you know, taking that all in meant that I did it and so I can do it again. And as a final question, if you could go back and talk to the Lily who was about to go traveling after sacking off university the lily who was worrying about her streaming numbers or the pressure to succeed Mm. or getting older or the lily who was on stage having a panic attack what would you Mm. say to her knowing what you do now take your meds and shut up no i'm joking um no again cliche but just like promise you it's okay it feels unbeatable but you did it. So just hang in there. We have come to our final topic of conversation, Lils, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, if we have time. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health, mate? I think it's good at the moment. I think to be like fully transparent, for the past few days, I've been noticing that I've had some bad thoughts don't worry, I'm okay, I'm safe. Not in that way. Yeah, just, if you'd you know, said when... dark thoughts, I'd have been more worried. Bad mm. thoughts is fine. Yeah, okay. Just, you know, when you notice that something's a little bit off, 
I've been having a bit of that. I think I've just been working too much at the moment, stressing too much. So I'm going to try relax and see how that goes. But I would say that I am, I sit down at the end of every night and I probably think every day I love my life. So yeah, I'd say I'm doing good at the moment. I'm just cautious. (laughs) Excellent, mate. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you first realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? I want to say like 14, 14, 15. And was it a eureka moment or a gradual process? Gradual. Yeah, definitely gradual. What things in life do you find that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, be in a particular social environment, a sound, a sensation, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I haven't figured out my triggers for panic disorder yet. I went through quite a bit of therapy trying to figure that out, but we're still not really there. That's why we think it could be something to do with the church. It could be all manner of things it's just my fight or flight system is a little bit broken mm-hmm. and I'm dealing with it okay at the moment you know I've got good meds for it I'm um, it's it's all good I would say for I don't think I get triggered that much to be honest I think I did have a weird thing with eating and so when I hear someone yeah like today I was listening to a podcast on the way home and it had a thing about an eating disorder and then that started me thinking oh yeah, maybe I I can skip dinner. And then I caught myself like, no, you can't. Yeah, so I think stuff to do with food is, is a little bit triggering. I don't have an eating disorder, but I think I definitely have disordered eating. But yeah, in terms of depression, I'm okay for triggers. Someone would have to be really mean <laughs> or like shout at me or something or like me do something stupid. Like one time I actually spilt tomato soup all over my bed. And I had a mental breakdown. I would say that that was definitely a trigger. <laughs> I mean, that would be. It went all over my fan. And, oh, disgusting. How do you... I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask. It's a podcast for another time. It was a small room. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Conversely, then, what positive tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health or help mm. you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked? Maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't? I think... Being sociable is a really good tool for me because if I can spend time with someone and it doesn't drain my social battery, I've got such a good friend at the moment, Jake, who we're playing the new Hogwarts Legacy game together. He's already played Mm -hmm. it. I just go over his to play it. And, you know, I feel like we can just like sit next to each other in silence and it will be fine. And so like going outside, being sociable and stuff, that helps me so much because when I stay inside and I don't do anything, I don't feel productive. And so as long as I, you know, make my bed every day and I keep my room relatively tidy, do not look at that, (laughs) then those are the tools that I use. Tidiness and making sure I go out and also drinking enough because dehydration affects me very badly. (laughs) Yeah. Can you remember the first conversation you have with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say and how did you feel afterwards? Did it feel like on the one hand, this big moment or a weight had been lifted or on the other, something very easy and normal to do? I remember it so vividly. I texted my friend Chloe when I was in like year 10, maybe 11, probably year 11. And um, I said, I think I might be depressed. And we were talking about it and I was saying well yeah because like I was having fun during the day but like I just felt no motivation 
for the things that I normally like and all of that. And she was really, really, really helpful. I think Chloe was a really, really good friend while I was at school in that friend group. And she just like with open arms was just like, that's completely okay. That's all good. Maybe you should talk to your mum about this. Maybe you should do this. And it didn't really feel like a weight lifted because I was like, oh, that's just the start, really. You know, I've still got a long way to go. Because at that point, I was like, maybe I need to get medication. And then there was like a four-year gap between, you know, that moment and actually starting medication. So, yeah, it was it was hard to make the first step. And it did feel like it was the start of a long process, I guess. But I'm so glad that I did. What has been the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health or self-help related. It doesn't exclusively have to be. And if you can't think of a book, an album, a TV show, any piece of popular culture. Oh, my sister got me a book. I need to swear. Is that okay? It's part of the title. Yeah, you can swear. You can swear. Okay. We've got this far. (laughs) Okay. It's called The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah, that book's come up a lot on this podcast, mate. Yeah. I didn't actually finish it, but I did read a lot of it. And it just like, because at that point I was feeling like that. And so it really solidified it. And I was like, you know what? This is a good way to live. I'm not going to care. It's all good. Like, there's no better way to explain it. It's just, it's all good. Everything's fine. Just chill. We're fine. So I would say that, and then countless albums <laughs> that have helped. If there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. I'm supposed to think of this others, but... Um... <laughs> Song, lyric, quote, anything you want. A mantra. Can I have an example that someone said before? Oh, let me think of one now. So my one would be, for example, yeah. if you can see my wall behind me, if oh. you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't get far, which is a Mac Miller lyric, which is I got made. Nice. Okay. You can make one up, by the way. It doesn't have to be something you've seen. Yeah, no, I am making one, one up. up. Yeah. I think it would be let what you've gone through motivate you to be better. Because that's what I do. <laughs> so, yeah. I like that. Okay, I've got two questions left. The first one is, what do you love about yourself? question um I think I'm quite funny and not like meaning to be sometimes (laughs) um I was at work yesterday my friend Connor he goes oh yeah I met one of the the newcomers not as giddy as you um and like I forgot it's even printed on my bottle I forgot the word for alcohol wipe and so I said do you have any bleach towels and like that's now printed on my bottle. Like I just think I'm a little Lily bit... Lilyisms, I call I yeah. I, I Fredisms, yeah. A lot of people a little say bit I have Fredisms. Ditzy and a little bit mm. funny. I really like that about myself. And that's helped me to be confident. Hmm. I've got one question left. It's yes. a broad one. What more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable mm. and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health? if, most importantly, they want to do it. Mm, I think it is literally just talking about it so much more. And, like, when someone confides in you, take their word for gospel. Believe it. Because, like, when I wasn't believed, 
it then delayed me from getting the help that I needed and made me go to some very dark places. So I think we need to talk more about it. We need to take it at face value. And then we need to get more people into therapy and into the doctors. I think the amount of people that say, oh, I don't need therapy, need therapy. (laughs) Everyone needs it. If you don't realise it, then that's probably something that's troubling you. So, yeah. And on that note, Lily Ward, thank you so much for coming on behind the mic and the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me, pal. Thank you for so much for having me. This has actually been really, really fun. Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Lily for being my special guest and for letting me go behind the mic with her. Lily's brilliant new single, Like I Used To, will play us out and I'll put all of Lily's streaming and social media links in the show notes so you can find out more about her brilliant music. As always, thank you to all the venters who tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues about it. If you like what we're doing here at Vent, please do support us on Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. Or you can go to our link tree. That's www.linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. Where you can buy a ticket to the Just Checking In podcast live show on Friday, September 29th. Please, please come along if you can. It'll be a great evening of men's mental health discussion. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent.